All right, I encourage you to grab a Bible and go to Romans chapter 12, Romans, Romans chapter 12, the passage. It's probably in your little bulletin there. It'll be on the screen here in just a minute. And so, uh, yeah, one more little small thing, maybe as you've come into our building here, right in the little entryway, you've noticed a kind of a mission map there. And so we are uh, trying to kind of inform our body uh, in a better way of what the, who are the missionaries that we as a, a collective group of churches, we've got four of us, Midtown, New Albany, East, and J-Town, who come together and train and empower and equip and, and, and resource couples and individuals to go overseas uh, to, do, uh, yeah, to, to do this work called mission, that we send people out to share the gospel. There's a little, uh, little cards that you can grab, get to know what uh, a family is doing overseas, better ways for you to specifically pray for them. And we're going to continually kind of update that little map to kind of give us a perspective of what we're doing as a collective of churches uh, to get this gospel into the world. Uh, so, yeah, thankful for uh, Kevin and Tessa Jane and a number of people that made that map a reality. All right? So, yeah, if you're just joining us, we have been in a little series called Identity. And we're working through kind of these uh, four core identities that make us up as Christians. Uh, and then we're going to dive into the book of Galatians and spend the entire fall working through the book of Galatians in September. And so what we've tried to do with this series, kind of the core idea behind it, is that, you know, what we do flows out of who we are. Or, you know, you could say it like this, who we are kind of dictates and informs what we do. And so we've kind of helped uh, understand these identities as a kind of like a, a statement of reality and at the same time an invitation to become, right? So, so immediately when you put your faith in Christ, when you declare him as Lord, your identity changes instantly. It happens in that moment. You become a child of God. You become a disciple. We're going to talk about being a witness. That's who you become instantly. This is your new identity, but there's also an invitation to become this. And we've said it like this, the, the work of the Holy Spirit is what, what happens kind of in this process that we call sanctification is where the Holy Spirit is, is working out what is already true about you, right? So he's, he's working in us to get out what is already true about us. And so we started this off by talking about you're a child of God. So when you Declare Jesus as Lord immediately, you're in his family, and you are a son and daughter of God. And what is true about that is that you are deeply and extravagantly loved. He celebrates over you. He sings over you. And that's not dependent upon your performance. It's dependent upon the performance of Jesus Christ. And then we talked a little bit last week uh, about you being a disciple and kind of the the, 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 the leaning there is that if I'm a disciple, then I'm one who listens to the words of Jesus and, and really encourage us to, uh, to find ways to where we build in our life this rhythm of silence and solitude because our world and our culture is really noisy. And so at times we need to kind of turn down the noise so that we can better listen to the words of Jesus. And, and hopefully, you know, I, I'm not naive up here, hopefully... Uh, you took some time to kind of step in with some little solitudes over the course of this week uh, so you can live into more of who you are as a disciple. And so this morning, I want to talk about witness. And, and, I, and I get kind of like the same way that you talk about disciple. You can feel maybe a lot of guilt uh, in this topic here. You can feel maybe a little shame. You can feel like, uh, I think I might just 
take a nap because I don't want to hear this again. And I want to encourage you not to do that. Uh, I, I do want to leave here giving you something that I think is really helpful and encouraging and something you can step into uh, as you live into this new identity as a witness of Jesus Christ. All right? This is where we're going this morning. So if you're able, I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Romans chapter 12, reading verses 9 through, what are we reading through? Through 13, I should know this, right? Um, Here we go. And we're primarily looking at verse 13, all right? That's where we're going to kind of camp out uh, together. But just to give us the context here, I wanted to read the verses above it. So hear the word of the Lord. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence and zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, many of us come here this morning probably tired physically, maybe tired emotionally, Lord. And I I just do pray, God, that you would renew our strength, that you would make us alert, Lord. May we hear from you. May we receive these words that we are going to dive in and look at as as a gift from you, God, as a... Uh, Lord, as a, just a, a beautiful invitation that we as a body can step into, Lord. And so once again, as we always pray, God, help us not to just be hearers, but also doers of what you've said. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I shared this with our uh, kind of membership class, our membership meeting a, a couple years ago. And I, I think it's worth kind of repeating uh, to, a, to a larger kind of audience here, uh, not that our members' meetings are not attended well, they're actually attended really, really well, and very, very thankful for that. But I do think we, um, we, we're living in a time where there's this kind of um, brewing hostility toward those who uh, kind of embrace a very orthodox Christianity. And, and what, I, what I mean by orthodox, I don't necessarily mean to use that word to make People feel like I'm smarter than what I really am because I'm not. Uh, I use that word just to mean like just those that kind of embrace what the Bible teaches. Uh, a conservative understanding of Christianity where what God says in his word we submit to, we obey. It's our authority. We don't stand over the word of God. We stand under the word of God. And there's a kind of a, um, for lack of a better phrase, kind of a brewing hostility toward those who embrace this kind of Christianity. And, I, and I'll just give you a couple examples here. This is the one I shared in our members meeting a, a couple years ago. Uh, Mike Cospers pr- produced a, a little podcast called A Devil in a Deep Blue Sea. And, and then the pilot, uh, he hasn't added any more episodes to this yet. And the reason why he says he doesn't have money uh, to do so. So I just said, hey, dude, get some money and do some more episodes here. So uh, in, a, in a fun way. All right. So I think there's a little uh, a, a picture of the picture of this uh, podcast, but basically the pilot is about the 930 Arts Center, which was a um, uh, kind of an initiative, initiative that our church did when they uh, purchased this building on Mary Street 
And the idea and the plan was kind of just to be a, a common, you know, a common good for the, the community there that was full of a lot of artists to give them a place where they can share their craft and share their, their gift that God has given to them. And it wasn't, you know, designed to kind of shove Jesus down people's throats. There was no soliciting. It was just a place for them to open up space for local artists to come and share uh, how God has gifted and put them together. Uh, Leo Magazine, which is a local magazine here in Louisville, did an article about that, and this article was not really helpful. And instead of emphasizing the common good that this, this initiative was doing in the community, it just talked about how regressive and backwards our beliefs as Sojourn Community Church was. And as a result of this scathing article, guys, I mean, I don't think I'm overstepping here, um, the 930 Arts Center pretty much closed down. Another example of this, um, there's a, um, and, I, and I say this with just um, um, great humility. I'm not trying to polarize anyone. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but there's a law that's going on in the state of California. I don't know if you've heard about this yet. It's called AB 2943. It's already passed through the Senate. Uh, and basically, this law has been dubbed by Must Stay Gay Bill, uh, where it will be against the law for a uh, faith-based organization, for a Christian counselor, for even pastors uh, who have individuals that are coming to them who are struggling with same-sex attraction or they're in a same-sex relationship. It would be against the law for them to give counsel to submit to what God has designed gender and where we are to sexually express this wonderful gift of sex, that it would be against the law for a pastor or a counselor to say, hey, this is what God says here. How can we patiently and lovingly over time see what it would look like for you to submit to what God has said about gender? So eventually, if this passes in the next level there, it would be against the law in the state of California for a pastor or Christian counselor to counsel someone in this direction. Now look, I, I don't say all this to necessarily, um, I don't know, to be an alarmist. I don't say all this to uh, even polarize some of us in this room who may be struggling with sexual identity, um, struggling with same-sex attraction. Please hear me. I, I, there's space for you here. You, you, you belong here. We want to we wanna help and and, and guide you and give counsel and love. And, and, and there's ways that the Christian community have done a, has done a horrible job in this. And we need to repent of how we've handled this and making people feel uh, less than um, as individuals. You, you're made in the image of God and you deserve respect and dignity here. But I say all this uh, to kind of awaken us in this kind of Bible belt that we live in that the culture in general has shifted drastically. And yet we may not be feeling it here because we do live in a very overchurched area. And so we may not feel it so much, but in urban context and in state universities, they do feel it. And there is an agenda that's being pushed on these people. And so uh, I, I just want to awaken us that our culture is changing there's a massive shift that's going on in our society. And so with that at play, especially as there's a growing hostility toward those who, you know, adhere to an orthodox Christianity, we can be tempted to respond to that 
by going insular or inward. And I know they're two different words, but, but in essence, they have the same idea. It's where, hey, we're going to make sure we kind of huddle up, we be our own deal, we kind of survive as our own Christian community, we kind of just protect ourselves, we stay safe, and if the world wants to do what they want to do, so be it. If the world wants to go to hell, so be it. We're going to be fine, we're going to be okay, we're not going to engage, we're just going to stay and kind of just insulate ourselves and make sure we're safe. The problem with that is that um, we can't do that. We can't go insular and inward. Why, Why can't we do that? Because that's not what we are. We as a community of people are witnesses. That's our identity. That is who we are. And so if we function in response to this hostility as going inward and insular, then we're living outside of who we are, which will produce a lot of frustrations in your life because you are a witness. That's who we are. Guys, look, the church exists for the world. We exist not just for us, but for those people who are not here yet. Our new identity in Jesus Christ, is that we are witnesses. I mean, we see this all over the Bible. One specific passage that we get this identity from is in Acts 1, verse 8, where it says this, and if you remember, we worked through the book of Acts a few years ago. Great series, very challenging, convicting. But verse 8 and chapter 1 is where we kind of get this idea that we are now witnesses. Look what it says there. But you, referring specifically to the disciples, which includes us also, because now we're in Christ, and who are we? We talked about that last week. We are now disciples, so this is to us also. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. A witness, as is on the screen here, is someone who encounters the extraordinary, and you can't help but share about that experience. That's what a witness is. A witness is someone who has encountered the extraordinary, and you can't help but share the experience. And so what is the extraordinary, quote-unquote, that this group of men that Jesus is talking about here in Acts chapter 1-8, what did they encounter? Well, yeah, all of them encountered the life of Jesus, they were witnesses to the very life of what Jesus did while he was here on 30, you know, 31, 32 years, just the three and a half years that he was with them. So they were witnesses to that. They were also witnesses to the death of Jesus Christ. But more importantly, they are witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if that resurrection does not happen, it doesn't matter about the life of Jesus or the death and burial of Jesus. If he is still dead, then as Paul says, we're a bunch of idiots. Amen? Let's go home, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we may die. What are we doing here? But because the resurrection is true, this is the event that was absolutely extraordinary for these men to see that radically changed their life and they give testimony. They give witness to this event. That's what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, when it says this, God has raised this Jesus, 
And we are all witnesses of this. And what is this modifying? It's modifying the first phrase there. God raised Jesus. This is the extraordinary event that these 11 men encountered that radically changed their life. And they cannot help but talk about it. Now look, I get it. All of us in this room, we are not physical witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not. All of us in this room have not seen Jesus with our own physical eyes like these men did. But all of us in this room who are in Christ are witnesses to the power of the gospel in our own lives. Amen? Every single one of us who call themselves a Christian are witnesses to the power of the grace of God in our lives. You are not here on your own. By the grace of God, you are here. And you can give evidence and testimony and give witness to the change, maybe not immediately and not in any way perfect, right? None of us have arrived, amen? We're still a stinking work in progress, but we can give evidence and testimony and witness to how Jesus has changed our lives because he is not dead. He is alive. So look, witness is not a program the church does. Are you following me? It's not a program that the church does, and, and, and and it's not just an activity that a Christian does, right? No, first and foremost, it's our identity. This is who we are. We are people who have encountered the extraordinary, and we can't help but talk about it. That's who we are. Tim Keller says it like this, mission and witness are not aspects of our existence as a church, we exist to be witnesses. Now, yes, like, yes, this is hard. Like, it, it's difficult. I mean, you read the first few chapters of the book of Acts, you don't get this feel. I mean, you get a boldness about the disciples and what they're doing here because they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, there's some fear going on. And if there's not fear going on, then why is Peter and John in jail praying for more boldness, right? You know, they're not praying to be set free. They're going, God, give us boldness, give us courage. Why? Because this is hard. Because there's opposition. It gets awkward. It gets weird. So I always kind of don't like it when people say things like this, you know, like, well, it's easy for you to talk about Kentucky basketball, then it should be easy for you to talk about Jesus, right? Or, you know, you went to that wonderful restaurant last night, and what do you do naturally? You talk about that wonderful restaurant. Or, man, I'm a huge CrossFit fan, right? So what do you do when you're a huge CrossFit fan? You naturally talk about CrossFit. You know, I'm a huge essential oil fan. I'm a witness of the essential oils and the extraordinary power that essential oils can do for us. And what do you do? You naturally talk about that. Of course it's going to be easy. The devil and all of his hellish crew doesn't give a rip 
When you talk about essential oils, CrossFit, Kentucky basketball, Louisville basketball, whatever, or some restaurant, he doesn't care. Of course it's going to be easy. But you mention the name of Jesus? It's a whole lot different, isn't it? All of his hellish crew are going after you. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But that's why we don't do it in our own power. That's why Jesus said you stay here until you receive power from the Holy Spirit because he's the one that's going to empower you to be who you are to be, and that is to be a witness. That's why we, we pray. That's why we do community like this. We need encouragement to step in and be who we are. We are witnesses. So here's, here's the question maybe, maybe you're asking, because this is the question I want to answer. So hopefully you're asking this question. Uh, so then how, Wow, right? Like I can, I can show you know, in the Bible, that we're supposed to be witnesses, then, then how? Like what, in light of specifically our time and our culture, and this seems to be this brewing hostility toward those that kind of hold to an orthodox Christianity or hold to more of a, a, a just believing the Bible is the best way I can kind of describe that. Then, then how do we be a witness here? When it, when it seems like sometimes when I try to share, it always sort of ends up in an argument. Like, how do we step into that? And so I want to give us one word and just spend a few minutes talking about that one word, and that one word is hospitality. Now, please hear me. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the only thing we do as a witness is show hospitality. I'm not saying that. I think there's all kinds of other elements. One is, eventually you got to talk about Jesus, right? they got to hear the message of the gospel, there's got to be some sharing that comes out of us, yeah? That's a part of being a witness. I think being a, and we've talked about this before too, being a faithful, loving presence in the, the neighborhood or the university or the school or the workplace that you are at is also being a witness. But I do think because of the, the kind of um, volatile time we live in, this, this polarizing uh, country that's getting more polarized uh, each and every day, one of the means that I think will be primary as us as a body being a witness is that it's going to look a lot like hospitality. I love what um, a lady, I think her, you would say her, Rosaria Butterfield, I think that's how you would say her name. She wrote a couple books. We wrote more than a couple books. One, she wrote An Unlikely Convert, which I have not read, but I want to read that. Here's a, a young lady who was in a same-sex relationship, teaching at a, a, a state university, uh, was very anti-Christianity, and um, a, a Christian couple invited her into the home, and they built a relationship over several months, and she put her faith and trust in Christ, and she became a Christian. And she wrote a book called uh, Gospel Comes with a House Key. Don't you love that? Right? Love that title. And so I, I've not read it in full. I skimmed through it this week. Ashley Stevenson, I think, has read it in full, so she would be a better one. But she has one little phrase in here that I think is just money. Look what she says here. For Christians to maintain an authentic Christian witness to a world that mistrusts us, at the very least, we must be transparently hospitable. 
So what does hospitality mean? When anytime the Bible speaks of hospitality, it always ties it to aliens and strangers, people who are not like us. I love how Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, talks about hospitality and how he defines it. He says this, hospitality is to give loving welcome to those outside your normal circle of friends. It's opening your life and your home to those who believe differently than you do. So look, guys, this is not a new movement. This is not something new. This has been going around since day one. And we read it at the beginning here in Romans chapter 12, where Paul kind of lists out for us this, these kind of implications and the impact that the gospel needs to have on a Christian's life. So he spends the first 12 chapters talking about this unbelievable, amazing, wonderful good news of the gospel. And then from chapter 12 on, he talks about how it's, it's applied, its implications on your life. And we saw here that there are 20 brief instructions that Paul lays out in these verses 9 through 13 here. And without any kind of explanation, without any kind of little commentary, and in this talks about our relationships, not just with one another, but also with strangers. I mean, look what he says here in verse, starting verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, outdo one another in showing honor. You see this list of instructions without any kind of explanation or commentary. Do not lack in diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Verse 13, share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Now why pursue, Paul? Why Why do you add that? Some translations say seek. Some translations say says practice. I like the word pursue there because it means you take the initiative to provide hospitality. Why? Because a stranger that is outside of Christianity that doesn't hold to the same beliefs that you have will not pursue you. Nothing compels them to do so. Are you following me? It's what I used to tell my, my youth workers all the time in student ministry. They would be surprised. That every, they'd show up on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, and they'd come to me and say, you know what, nobody, none of the kids talk to me. I'm going, hello, they're teenagers. Are you serious? You're an adult. They're not going to come up to you. They're not going to go, hey, my name's Joe. What's your name? Nice to have you here. You're a 40-year-old adult. You're like the enemy, right? This is what you do. You walk up to them and all your awkwardness and all the weirdness and say, hey, I'm Lyle. What's your name? John. How was school? Great. So what do you like to do? Nothing. I mean, that's it. That's right. That's how it is. But you pursue them. They're never going to pursue you. And it's the same here, guys. Look, look. Our neighbors that are outside of Christ, have characters about those that are Christians. And there's nothing that's compelling them to go have a relationship with you. But you are compelled by the love of Jesus, the love of Christ. And you want them to experience the love that you've experienced, so then therefore it compels you to go and pursue hospitality. Go seek out the stranger. Go seek out the alien. Go seek out the one that's not in your normal circle of friends who does not believe the same way you believe because they're not going to seek you out. I wanted to save this quote to the end and I might read it again at the end, but here's a quote that's so stinking convicting for me, man. I'm telling you, 
It's from a guy named Greg Thompson, who's a writer and a speaker. He says this, and I know it's on a slide, but it's way at the end, so you don't have to worry about it, Michael. Oh, you're the man. He's so awesome. Look at him. Boom, it's right there. I push the click of the button. Our neighbors are not looking for us. But here's the biggest problem. Here's the biggest concern. Are we looking for them? Yes, man, there's a, and it's in me, yeah, there's a natural tendency to pursue people that are like you. There's natural tendency to pursue people that believe like you, that, that have like-mindedness. I mean, and there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I'm not saying that's sinful. I don't think God's trying to say that's sin. There's a place for that. You need relationship. You need community. I mean, you need, you need help during this time, encouragement, and you need a brotherhood, a sisterhood. Yes, yes, I'm for all of that, and I would say God is also but there also needs to be another pursuit that isn't present in our lives. And that is the pursuit of the stranger. That is the pursuit of the outsider. That is the pursuit of the one who does not believe like you, who is your neighbor, who is your coworker, who is your friend that you sit, at, sit with during lunch. It's, it's our calling. It's our job. It's who we are. This is such a big deal to God if you see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that it's one of the qualifications for someone who wants to be an elder in a local church. I mean, look at this. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. Why is this such a big deal? That God would say this needs to be one of the qualifications of an elder. It's because we were all strangers once. We were all strangers once. We were all strangers of the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ. We were all strangers to the destructiveness of my own sin and how it's destroying other people in my life. We were all strangers to my very need of Jesus. But what did God do? Did he go insular and insulate himself? Ah! Who cares? No, but God pursued me. He chased after me. And the scriptures tell us that he chased after me in spite of my like hostility toward him while I was still an enemy. I wasn't a friend. I wouldn't go, yay God, love God. No, I hated him. I never articulated that out of my mouth, but by the way I lived and refused to submit to his leadership in my life, I'm basically telling him, get out of here. I don't like you. I don't want you. But what did God do? He pursued. He chased after me. He practiced hospitality. He invited me in. And Jesus has radically changed my life. And if you're a Christian here, He's done the same thing for you. Look, guys, I'm not, I'm not saying that this is the answer or this is a silver bullet, like we figured it out. Here it is. This is how we're going to do it. I'm just saying that in a time where we are so polarized by what we believe, our political affiliations, where we stand on issues, that welcoming someone in your life in your home, sharing a meal has a way of breaking down barriers and taking someone by surprise and possibly, by the grace of God, open their ears 
to hear this good news. As one writer puts it, it's taken the hand of a stranger and maybe in time, God can use that to put that hand in the Savior. That's hospitality. So, in light of that, I, I want to encourage us to do two things, okay? I, I do, all right? And this is not like to bring guilt on us. We are free. We are loved. We are a chosen people. We're children of God. Like, it doesn't be our performance and what we do. No, no, it's, no. But God empowers us to step in. So we are to pursue hospitality. Then what does this look like? I want to give you two. The first one is this. Share your home. Share your home. So if we as a body begin to really step in and pursue hospitality, it will require us to see our homes differently. Yes, yes, man. Homes are a a place of respite. Uh, Homes can be a place where we relax, we, we get recharged. It can be a place where we, you know, can I get settled and centered, like I said a couple weeks ago, and there is nothing wrong with that. We need seasons of respite. We need seasons where it's just me and fam, all right? There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing sinful about that. However, what I would say is this, is that our homes also need to be recognized as a gift from God and a tool that God can use to help other people experience the love of Jesus by how they experience the love of you inside your home. Are you following me? So it, it's, the, the love of Jesus is not supposed to be experienced in some kind of abstract way. There's a way that people can actually experience the love of Jesus by how they experience your love inside your home and ways of sharing a meal with them. So yes, your home is a respite, a place where you can recharge. Yes, and at the same time, it's also a tool. It's a gift that God wants to use in order to possibly open up someone's ears to the message of Jesus Christ. So what if, just dream with me, just for a second, right? What if, we'll have like 500 adults that roll in these two services over today. 500 adults. Let's say that less than half. So I'm not going 500. I'm going, okay, let's set a goal that's a little stretch, but but we we can do this. Let's say that 200 of us, a hundred in here and a hundred in the next service. So you know what? Over the next six months, one time a month, we are going to invite a stranger. And what I mean by stranger, all right, it's a neighbor that you don't know. I'm not just talking about someone's on the road. Hey, you know, it's like, yeah, I know, stranger danger, whatever. Okay, but I think you understand what I'm saying. Someone that's not in your normal circle of friends. And you ask them over for a meal. No agenda. You don't have to mention Jesus in order for the meal to count, right? If you want to pray before the meal, that's fine. That's who you are. Go for it. If you don't, it doesn't mean it's going to fail. That God's pouring down his wrath because you didn't say grace. No, like just have someone over. Get to know them. Be curious about them. Listen to them. You're not there to change their beliefs. 
That's what God can do. The pressure's off. One time a month for the next six months. One person. Maybe it's the same person. Because you want to build a relationship. You ask them over your house for a meal. Another idea, all right? And some people are in a season of life where this is possible for you. But, but what if um, once a month on a Sunday, you make a meal that is going to be big enough for four extra people? And for some of you, you can do that. You're in a season of life where this is possible. And then you get up on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and you say, okay, God, I'm, I'm rolling in the church, and I'm asking you to show me who to invite. And you invite a legitimate stranger that may be sitting in your row, right? Like, I don't know you, but I got a pot of chili or whatever it is, right? And invite them over. I think there's ways that we can do a much better job, and it doesn't have to be programmed to where we love singles, to where we love single moms, single dads. And this is one of the means by which we can do that, by having them over for a meal, inviting them into your home. Like, I mean, I don't know what the Lord would do with that, but I think it could have a major impact, not only on their life, but I think on your life. And that's kind of how it works, right? When you step into the mission of God, it doesn't just affect them, right? It has a way of affecting you and changing you and helping you see things the way maybe you've never saw them before. One of the things we want to do here, um, we've been talking about this for about a year now, and we're wanting to really make some steps toward this this fall, um, is the thing called the feast. And so Ronnie Martin, who's a good friend of mine who planted a church in Ashland, Ohio, um, started this little thing called the feast where basically they, they eat together as a body every single Sunday. It's been what they've done since day one. Uh, even as their church has grown, they do this. So we went to church there uh, back about a, uh, in the fall or one summer ago, my wife and I did and our kids just kind of wanted to observe and see what this was like. It was actually in the winter, this past winter. Uh, we went by there and it was just a beautiful little little picture of a family uh, that was getting together, kind of sharing their home. And that's what I would love to do here, where we would have a meal together, a light meal, right? We do have more people than they do, and so it can't be like a full-blown meal, but a light meal that we would have in between the services, kind of like a brunch that is free, doesn't cost you anything, and it's a way for us to kind of share our home. It's a way for us to continue a conversation out into the atrium. Because here's the reality, guys. Look, people are going to be offended by what we say up here and what we sing up here. Hopefully it's not the, the demeanor, it's the content. Because we're not going to stray away from the truth of God's word. We're going to be a body, no matter where the culture goes, that submits to what the word of God says. And so there are going to be things we sing up here. I mean, come ye sinners, that's offensive I mean, that is. I mean, we, it's not offensive to us because we're church people. But an unchurched person coming in here has never heard about Christianity or anything says, sinners? Like, that's offensive. And so, like, I'm okay with what is said and sung to be offensive, but I do think kindness always wins, amen? And no one's offended by good hospitality. 
And I'm praying that as they experience our body over meal, maybe those walls would be broken down and they'd be more receptive to what we're saying here and singing here from the stage. I long for it to be hard not to be known in our community. And I'm not saying that's, that's going to solve all the problems. I'm just saying it's one step while we, in which we can share our home. And so, Lord willing, you'll see more about that in the coming weeks. The last one is this, and then we're done. So not only share our home, but share our lives. And here's what I want to say to this. Uh, some of you may hear the idea of sharing your home, and you feel kind of embarrassed about doing that because you don't like your home. Some of you may be here and say, look, that's just not my wheelhouse. I don't do well with that. I don't cook well. Like it's, it's, a, it's a miracle if we get a TV dinner, for crying out loud. Like for me to ask people in my home and cook a meal for them just stresses me out. And I, and I just want to say to this, like sometimes people will make you feel guilty about that. Like it's okay. It's okay. If that's where you are right now, then that's where you are. And maybe in time, God can change that, but you don't need to beat yourself up about that. But I do think there are still ways that you can step in and be hospitable, even if it means you're not sharing your home. And that is share your life. And here's what I mean by that. Like, I'll give some flesh to that. One, welcome everyone you meet. Why not? I don't know that person. So what? (laughs) The command is to pursue hospitality, and they're strangers, right? Welcome everyone you meet. This is low-hanging fruit right here, amen? There are strangers that are walking through these doors every single week. And some of these strangers don't know Jesus. And you're a member here. You're a regular tender here. Go welcome them. Go talk to them. Ask questions. Yeah, it's going to be awkward. Yeah, it's going to be weird. Yeah, we're going to have extended time, and it's going to be a little awkward because the people are going to sit really fast. But you know what? You, as a member here, who's a family here, go pursue them. They're not going to pursue you. You're intimidating to them. You may have a scowl on your face. Whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Go after them. Welcome everyone you meet. Engage people. Ask open-ended questions. Be curious about people's lives. Listen to them. People like to talk about themselves. Right? They do. Okay? You and I like to talk about ourselves. Shake your head. Yes, you do. I know you do. And when someone comes and takes interest in you, it's like, oh, wow, you're asking questions about me. You help dignify them. They don't look like a project. Pursue the outsider. Find someone in your workplace or in your school or in your neighborhood that seems to be an outsider, different, not the same. People seem to kind of keep away from them. Go and pursue them. Those are ways that you're showing hospitality. You're sharing your life. I did not ask permission to do this, so I'm asking for forgiveness before asking permission. My wife, Kathy, does this really well. She kills it, I'm telling you. And there's times when she puts me to shame in this, where I've got to repent. We go to cross-country meets, and I'm telling you, she is pursuing the stranger, the outsider. She's engaging people. She is welcoming people. She's asking questions. She's talking to them. And here, like, guys, I'm just this full confession. I'm like over in the corner going, I ain't talking to anybody. Oh my gosh, I gotta talk to people for a living. I am not talking to anybody. I'm not on the clock. I don't have to do a darn thing here, right? And there's been times where she's kindly said, Lyle, that's what we're here for. And she's right on. 
God has gifted her. And it's not necessarily her temperamental wiring. I think she would say that. It takes work for her to do this. This doesn't fuel her to be around a bunch of people. It actually drains her. But she's living in to who she is in Christ. She's a witness. And she's pursuing hospitality. She's seeking out the stranger. She wants them to feel welcomed. Thank God for Kathy. What an amazing example she is in my life. Share your home. Share your life. Our neighbors are not looking for us. But the biggest concern I have is are we looking for them? Let's pray.